we are at the conclusion of Gideon. But now, because it has been quite a staggered uh, journey through this character study on Gideon, uh, I'll have to do a bit of revision today. Uh, also, it's a very short part that we're going to discuss. So um, you, you, you have uh, a lot to look forward to. It's not going to be that long a sermon, but uh, please do join me on a bit of revision. Let's take a quick review. So in Judges 6, Gideon was called by God. Judges 6 is the calling. Judges 6 verse 14 and 15 said that the Lord looked upon Gideon and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. So Judges 6 told us that Gideon was humble. Gideon did not think highly of himself. And yet God called Gideon. The lesson of the calling of Gideon was Gideon lacked faith. And we may lack faith. But Gideon has an experience with the Lord where the Lord reveals himself unto Gideon. And uh, he asked for a sign and the Lord provided in the sign. Now we may have that experience with the Lord where he reveals himself unto us. The question is, would we have the faith to ask for a sign? Gideon then erected an altar. He was now willing to sacrifice. The question is, do we metaphorically erect an altar in our hearts? Are we ready to make sacrifices of time, money, habit? Gideon was obedient. Sorry, Gideon was given a calling. It was something challenging. Yes. <clears throat> and uh, it was something challenging, but something achievable. The question is, have we been given a calling? Gideon was obedient, and the question is for us, are we obedient? Gideon faced persecution. Do we face persecution? And if we are obedient, you know what? We should expect persecution. Unfortunately, obedience is rewarded with persecution. But Gideon was delivered by his father, and so too we will be delivered by our heavenly father, first in the small miracles, but also ultimately in the final deliverance. That was the summary of Judges 6, the calling of Gideon. Then we went on to Judges 7. Judges 7 is where Gideon conquered through the power of God. Judges 7, verse 7 and 8, And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took victuals in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and he retained those 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath in the valley. So Gideon and his 300 men. Gideon was willing to believe. Gideon was obedient. But Gideon was also very clear in his understanding that it was God who was going to work the miracle of victory through the 300 men. Now what were the weapons of Gideon and his 300 men? A trumpet. A trumpet which we said symbolizes proclamation of the soon return of Jesus Christ. Now, could we use this weapon, proclaiming the soon return of Jesus Christ? People, I want to ask you, are you familiar with the word Adventist? Advent is the return of Jesus Christ. An Adventist should be someone who's proclaiming the soon return of Jesus Christ. Are you familiar with Adventist? Doesn't sound like it. Maybe you want to check the sign at the door as you walk in. 
We are to be Adventists. Use that trumpet to announce the soon return of Jesus Christ. The next weapon was an empty jar of clay. And we said that he is the potter, we are the clay. We are formed by our maker. He molds us. But while the pitcher, the jar of clay remained intact, it was choking the torch. The fire could not burn brightly. But once that jar of clay was smashed on the rock, it could shine brightly. They broke those pitchers. And that begs the question, are we an empty vessel, a jar of clay, to be broken upon the rock Jesus Christ to then shine brightly the lamp? And what was the lamp a symbol of? The lamp is a symbol of the Bible. Thy word is a lamp. Do you have access to the Bible? Do you share the Bible with others to be a light unto others? Does your lamp shine bright? And then finally, they used a loud cry. A loud cry is a shout of victory. Jesus has already prevailed over evil. We can all shout with joy the shout of victory. So what I was trying to convey in part two was that the weapons of Gideon's great victory are the weapons that we have at our disposal. We have those same weapons available here today and we can engage our enemies, our spiritual enemies with these weapons. We can loudly proclaim the word of God and the message of the soon return of our victorious Jesus Christ, our Messiah. But we are to be broken vessels, broken on the rock Jesus Christ for the lamp of God's word to shine brightly. We could be like Gideon using these simple weapons in truth and humility. Now that was uh, the rushed revision. I hope you all paid attention. Nothing new there. I could see you all nodding in agreement aggressively. You know this. You're well trained. Good. Now we start today with part three. And uh, before we start, let's say a prayer. That was just revision. Let's close our eyes. Dear Lord Jesus, we've uh, made a rushed start to get through the revision. But today we are with part three, the conclusion. Gideon, the calling, the conquering, and the conclusion. We're here at the conclusion, Lord Jesus, but you left the conclusion of Gideon's life recorded in Scripture as a warning to us. Today I want us to reflect upon this final part of Gideon's life so that none would presume, but that all would remain humble in service and recognition of you, the great worker of miracles through us, your humble vessels. I ask this in your name. Amen. Now today, as I said, part three is a warning to us. We will be looking at Gideon's legacy at the conclusion. Judges 8. Please page in your Bibles to Judges 8. We'll start in verse 22. So Judges 6, the calling. Judges 7, the conquering. And Judges 8, the conclusion. Judges 8, verses 22 and 23. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son and thy son's son, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said, uh, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Wow. Well done, Gideon. At this time, Israel was ruled by a theocracy. God was their leader. And God would at times use judges to rule over Israel when they lose their way, but only as and when necessary. And Gideon realized that he should not establish a rulership because this was God's role. But unfortunately, 
Gideon had his eye on something else. We continue in verse 24. And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a garment, and they did cast every man therein the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold, beside the ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian, and beside the chains that were about their camels' necks. Yes, unfortunately, there was an and. Gideon thought it fair to take remuneration or compensation for the deliverance of Israel. Now the question is, did Gideon free Israel? It was a mighty army of 120,000 men. He had 300 men. These men had weapons of war. Gideon had a torch and a trumpet. Who won that miracle? Who won that victory? Who brought that miracle? It was God. It was, it was not Gideon. Now, did God call Gideon for Gideon to be enriched? Not at all. God did what he did for Israel, not for Gideon. God merely chose to use Gideon to do the work. It was not because of Gideon, but God chose to use Gideon to do the work. But Gideon saw an opportunity. He saw an opportunity and he is cunning in the application of his newfound riches. Judges 8 verse 27, And Gideon made an ephod thereof. Now an ephod is the, uh, the high priestly uh, chest covering. He made an ephod and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. What a shock. What a shock. There is so much, so wrong, so rapidly. Now the Bible unfortunately does not give us a lot of information on how Gideon experienced such a rapid decline to be this wonderful mighty warrior of God to suddenly being a snare unto Israel and his house. Now for today, and I normally don't do this, but today we need to go to a Bible commentator to help us understand just because the information is so sparse. So we will page to the book of Patriarchs and Prophets, uh, page 555, and we read there in paragraph 5, that Gideon was betrayed into another error, which brought disaster upon his house and upon all Israel. Now pay careful attention. The season of inactivity that succeeds a great struggle is often fraught with greater danger than is the period of conflict. And to this danger, Gideon was now exposed. A spirit of unrest was upon him. Hitherto, he had been content to fulfill the directions given him from God. But now, instead of waiting for divine guidance, he began to plan for himself. When the armies of the Lord have gained a signal victory, Satan will redouble his efforts to overthrow the work of God. Thus thoughts and plans were suggested to the mind of Gideon by which the people of Israel were led astray. How unfortunate. Now let's walk down this path of compromise to understand what happened here. And this path of compromise also provides a test by which we as members can test ourselves but also our spiritual leaders. And uh, here I just want to say to put 
both Pastor Johnny and Pastor James had rest. There's immediate company not necessarily considered here. But this is a healthy process for us to assess our own intents and also the intents of our leaders. Now, first problem was Gideon wanted that gold. Gideon was offered the rulership, but that would contradict God's plain word. Gideon wasn't called to be Israel's king. So he rejected this, and that was wise and good. However, God said nothing about the gold. Gideon wasn't too worried about being king, but that gold, that gold though, that gold. Now, do you or your spiritual leader want that gold? Even when God did all the work, are you or your leader presuming on a gray area of temptation or entertaining and dwelling on personal enrichment instead of spiritual enrichment? Gideon wanted that gold. Gideon took that wealth. Gideon took that wealth from people who struggled to differentiate between God, who provided the miracle, and the person through whom God provided the miracle. Gideon was called to a task, but Gideon was not called to a position. But he leveraged the results of the task to establish a position not offered. Do you, member, or the spiritual leader leader you hold in high regard, desire an unwarranted personal gain when when experiencing God's corporate blessing. We must respect the person God calls. Yes, we respect the person God calls, but we honor the God who works through them. Now, Gideon realized the power of spiritual authority, that spiritual authority could outweigh political authority. And he intended to insert himself into a position of spiritual authority he was not called to be in. And this is such a great danger and temptation to those realizing the power of spiritual ministry. Gideon started humbly, faithfully, obediently, but he so quickly lost his way once he started to add to the word of God. Once he started to presume on things. Once he started to think of himself and his own prosperity. Once he elaborated and exaggerated his contribution to Israel's deliverance, are you perhaps striving for a station greater than what God called you to serve in? Members, are you alert to your own ambitions, but also perhaps those of your leaders? Ambitious at the expense of the spirit and truth. Now still, How did Gideon go about establishing this authority? Again, Ellen White in Patriarchs and Prophets does a great job of explaining this process. In paragraph 6, because Gideon, now it goes back to Judges 6, because Gideon had been commanded in Judges 6 to offer a sacrifice upon the rock where the angel appeared to him, Gideon now concluded, he just concluded, that he has now been appointed to officiate as a priest. He just uh, decided, well, you know, if God wanted me to sacrifice, I must be a priest now. So without waiting for divine sanction, he determined to provide a suitable place and to institute a system of worship similar, but not exact, similar to that carried on at the tabernacle. So he brings a competing system of religion. And with a strong popular feeling in his favor, after the victory that he gained in Judges 7, 
He found no difficulty in carrying out this plan. So Gideon presumes on an authority not granted, and he fashions this ephod in the symbol of uh, the priest, and this gives him his authority. He styles worship in such a way as to make him an authority. And we see how such elaboration quickly leads to apostasy. And the same has been repeated many times over through human history when mankind presumes upon a spiritual position and authority. To finish paragraph 6, the unauthorized worship led many of the people finally to forsake the Lord altogether to serve idols. After Gideon's death, great numbers, among whom were his own family, joined in this apostasy. The people were led away from God by the very man who had once overthrown their idolatry. Congregation, be careful of idolizing an effective member or minister. To God be the glory. The instrument is not greater than the artist. Now also note the seemingly insignificant temptations and dishonest rationalizations that led Gideon to ultimately take such great strides of personal ambition and become such a snare to the spiritual well-being of his entire nation. The reason is that it may be mutually more desirable to excuse the ambition of a leader or a minister, since their faulty moral example is then a convenient excuse for the members to indulge their own temptations and ambitions. Sometimes we excuse a bad example. Why? Because it gives me an excuse for my own bad conduct. Isaiah 56 tells us what happens when spiritual leaders cultivate a concern for their own prosperity at expense of the spiritual well-being of their flock. Isaiah 56, 10 to 12. Israel's watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. They are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Everyone for his gain from his quarter. Come ye, say they. Come ye, say they. I will fetch wine and we will fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow shall be as this day and much more abundant. Be careful, flock. Be careful, ministers. Be careful those of position and authority. Be vigilant watchmen, not dumb dogs. Mutually silenced because the flock and the minister are equally compromised and wanting to be compromised for the sake of personal ambitions. Don't be greedy dogs wanting to extract benefit for work which was inspired and blessed by God to the ministry of His flock. Pray for understanding. Pray for discretion. Do not become drunk with the wine of disinterest, but stay true to the task, ministering in humility, accepting only what God grants, not desiring more. And here I want to emphasize, God will not rob you. God will not rob you of recognition nor compensation. God will not rob you. But you could rob yourself of your salvation. And many others could be robbed of their salvation as a consequence as well. This is what Gideon, the conclusion, teaches us. But now, returning back to patriarchs and prophets, the first quote 
I cannot stress this enough. The season of inactivity that succeeds a great struggle is often fraught with greater danger than is the period of conflict. It's after the victory where the real danger lies. After the victory. When the armies of the Lord have gained a signal victory, Satan will redouble his efforts to overthrow the work of God. Now, a soldier who prematurely believes his foe is defeated is at the greatest risk of being caught off guard. Great spiritual victory is often succeeded by terrible defeat in life. The job is never done. Please don't presume that you have attained. Please remain vigilant, remain humble, remain faithful. There is a saying that describes the cycle of civilization. And it goes like this. Tough times make for strong men. Strong men make for good times. Good times make for weak men. Weak men make for tough times. Now Gideon, amazingly, he completed this full cycle within his lifetime. He was both the strong man, the strong man formed during the tough times, and he was the weak man formed during the good times. In other words, in other words, it wasn't Gideon that was so special after all. Under different circumstances, Gideon was a different person. And the question for us here today individually is, who are you? Who are you? Are you shaped by your faith or are you shaped by your circumstance? Who are you? This should serve as a warning to us who may be reluctant to accept the times of trial. Brothers and sisters, we may need those trials to keep us on our knees. Do you ever wonder why you seldom experience victory? Maybe you can't afford it. Maybe it is God's grace to keep you struggling. This is not a message that you will hear preached in the prosperity faith. Because the prosperity faith ties your salvation to the perceived level of prosperity you are experiencing. But brothers and sisters, prosperity can be a snare to your faith. This is why we read in Matthew 19 verse 23 and 24, where Jesus says unto his disciples that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And to emphasize this point, he says, again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. You don't hear this preached in the prosperity faith. The question is, is your faith strong enough to endure the bad times? Is your faith strong enough to endure the good times? And here's the real question. Is your faith strong enough to pray to God for God to take away the good times if they are a snare to your faith. Do you have that kind of faith? Now we know why Paul, the great New Testament apostle, 
Was there any apostle more effective than Paul? But you know, Paul was left to suffer. We read in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 10, that lest I, Paul, should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And the Lord said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was not given that victory, lest he should be exalted. Paul, the great Paul. How can we sometimes be so demanding when Paul was left to suffer? When I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak emotionally, then I am strong spiritually. When I am weak physically, then I am strong spiritually. When I am weak financially, then I am strong spiritually. Say it with me. When I am weak, then I am strong. Strong in what? In the faith. Strong in the faith. But church family, when I am weak spiritually, then I am not strong spiritually. Do not undermine your own spiritual health. Gideon, the conclusion. Judges 8 verse 32. And Gideon the son of Joash died in a good old age, and he was buried in the sepulcher of Joash his father in Ophrah of the Abezrites. And it came to pass as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel turned again, and they went after Baal, and they made Baal Berith their god. This is his legacy, the great Gideon. His leadership led Israel right back into idolatry, the great Gideon. Continuing verse 34 and 35, And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God, who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jeroboam, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. Ultimately, there is no appeasing evil. Evil has no loyalty. Gideon misled Israel, and Israel took that as license to return to idolatry, and you know what? They forgot Gideon. And so too will you be forgotten if you compromise on your mission. If you succumb to the temptations of success and ambition, forgetting the God who blessed, and being self-deceived as to your actual role and true contribution. You will be forgotten. This is the legacy of Gideon and so many others. And there have been some leading lights in Christianity recently. When the truth of their compromise came out, they left them totally exposed. Tarnished their legacy. I just want to caution you, members, congregation. Is this your legacy? Or will you stand True, will you accept the times of trouble? And if the good times are a risk to your faith, 
Will you pray against that? Because it is the season of victory that often leads to the greatest danger. The message of Gideon, the calling, we all have received our calling. The conquering, we also can conquer like Gideon with very little, the power of the word, proclaiming that word, shining that light. We can also conquer. But the conclusion, be careful of claiming victory too soon. Remain humble, remain faithful, and remain obedient. Learn from Gideon. Let's close our eyes. Dear Lord Jesus, we have reflected upon the example of Gideon. Our Lord, you used him for a mighty miracle, a great moment of salvation for his nation. But Gideon wasn't up to the challenge of what followed. The good times, when everything is easy, when there's peace in the land. Lord Jesus, that is the time that could bode the greatest risk to our faith and our commitment. Lord Jesus, are we aware of this danger? The danger of complacency, the danger of ambitions, the danger of taking the focus off of you and your plan for our life and starting to manufacture our own dreams. Lord Jesus, which may lead us into conflict with your will. Dear Lord, I can't speak for every person here exactly what is going on in their lives, but I can just pray that they will look at the example of Gideon and realize that there are risks in assuming that they have achieved, in presuming that they have arrived, when, Lord, that is only the start of the battle. Because we should be strong in the faith regardless of the circumstances, both in the good times and in the bad times. And especially, we need to be mindful to remain strong in the faith in the so-called good times. Dear Lord, this is a prayer that I utter to you that it may serve as a warning for all here today listening. And I ask this in your holy name. Amen.
Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Dear Lord, you are mighty to work mighty miracles. And Lord, we want to be your vessels through whom you can work those mighty miracles. But Lord, so often we as humans fall for the temptation to be confused as to our actual true contribution in this miracle. And Lord, I just pray that your people will be willing to be those vessels through which you can work, but that they would be cautious of the spiritual dangers of starting to think that it's their contribution that made the difference. I want your people to be willing volunteers to enlist in the army of the Lord, but for them to be aware of the spiritual dangers once they start presuming and acting on ambitions that you did not plant in their hearts. Dear Lord, may the example of Gideon be a warning for us, Lord, to walk into this by holding your hand tightly and being led by your Spirit that we can be conquerors through faith. I ask in your name. Amen.